Welcome to the Sermon Podcast of Trinity Church in Carryville, Tennessee, right outside of Memphis. For more information about our church, please visit our website, trinity901.com. So my hometown is 88 miles from Ruby Falls in Chattanooga. And despite all the barns that have been painted in northeast Alabama telling people to go visit this natural attraction, I had never been until a few years ago. And my whole family went. And honestly, I did not know what to expect. I had not heard very much concerning Ruby Falls. And I remember getting on the elevator and going to the bottom and thinking, this is going to be nice, this is going to be pleasant, I'm going to enjoy this, I'm really looking forward to this. And then the elevator doors opened. And if you've never been, I can't tell you how many hundreds of feet you are below the earth. And when you step out of the elevator, the walls of the cave are right beside you. And, and I'm not a very tall person, but even I had to bend down just a little bit. And the first impression that I had was, I'm in my coffin and I'm going to die. And I'm having to reassure myself as I take steps forward that thousands of people have come to Ruby Falls and they have seen this attraction, and as far as I know, nobody has ever died, nobody has ever been stuck inside the mountain, everything has always turned okay in the past. But my mind was not convincing my eyes, and I'm getting claustrophobic, and I'm panicking, and I start breathing heavy, and I start sweating, and I've never felt this before in my life anywhere on any occasion. And I decide, I make the decision, I'm just going to leave my family down here. They seem to be okay. I'm going to turn around and get on the elevator and go back. And when I looked over my shoulder, there were people going back 40, 50 feet. There was no way that I could retreat. I'm going forward into the heart of the mountain. Here is where I will die. That's how I felt. And then I heard Avery begin to comment on one of the natural features in the cave and how beautiful it is. There was no fear in her voice. And then I hear Vicky say, you need to come see this. Come on, come forward. This is wonderful. This is great. This is fantastic. She seems to have no fear either. And then the clincher was John Hunter. I hear him. He's, he's right in front of me. He was several years younger. He looks right up at me, and he goes, Dad, it's the Batcave. And I knew at that moment when he said that, I had to do this. I had to see Ruby Falls. I had to experience this for the love of my family, for, for being, being a good father. I needed to continue to move forwards and see the falls, and I did. I'll never go again. You will never see me get on that elevator and go down to Ruby Falls. I did it once, and I did it for the love of my family because it was the Batcave. 
So when we, when we come to the text this morning, we see Jesus. And we see Jesus surrounded by betrayal. We see that Jesus is in a difficult and scary spot because the scribes and the elders and the leaders of Israel want nothing to do with him. They want him killed. And we see his friends, his own disciples fleeing from him and denying him. Jesus is in a very, very dark spot. And so why does he stay? Why does he not run? Why does he not flee? Why does he not say to the leader, the leaders, I'm not who you think I am? And the reason he doesn't do that, the reason he doesn't take a step back, the reason he doesn't retreat to the elevator is because he loves the Father and he is always desirous of obeying the Father perfectly. And the other reason that Jesus stays there as the winds of betrayal swirl around Him is because He loves us. He has a plan for us and He wants to redeem us. And so there is no, there's no backward step for our Savior. He stands there amidst those troubles because of love. Love for the Father and love for us. Let's pray. Father, we pray that Your Word would go forth this morning and that it would sink down to the very deepest parts of our souls and that it would take anchor there in that spot. Father, through the work of Your Holy Spirit, apply Your Word to us. Help us to know how much You love us, and how true and how deep and how unending Your grace is for Your people. Forgive the one who speaks, for my sins are great. Set me aside as You speak to us this morning. Amen. So there are three things that we're going to look at this morning. The obedience of Christ, the sufferings of Christ, and the grace of Christ. And I want to begin with the obedience. We have been working our way through the Gospel of Mark. We're coming to the end. We see that Jesus has been betrayed by Judas. He's been arrested and He is brought before the leadership of Israel. Now Jesus understands that this has to unfold. That there's a purpose for this. He knows that He has to not only obey the covenant perfectly, obey the law of God perfectly, obey the Word of God perfectly, but that He is also going to have to be the atonement for our sins. That means, that means, that God is going to place the punishment for covenant disobedience that we deserve, all of God's people throughout history, that God is the Father is going to place that on Jesus. He's going to take that punishment. He's going to swallow that punishment so that we don't ever have to experience it. So Jesus understands that this is one step, an important step, in, in his, his procession to the cross. He is a man who is on a mission. He is the Son of God and the Son of Man who has come, who wants to redeem us from sin and from death and from misery. And He knows that Calvary is the place that He has to go 
and to be the atonement for sin. Thus, he has to endure the taunts and the words and the afflictions of the leaders of the nation of Israel and the Roman guards and the Roman government. His obedience is motivated by his desire to obey the Father perfectly and his love for us. Think about this. As Jesus is standing in that place, and as the elders and the scribes and the high priest are saying so many terrible things, and they're failing to recognize that He is the Messiah, that He is probably more than likely at that moment thinking about us, and thinking about our redemption, And that the grace He longs to give us because He has obeyed the covenant perfectly. Because He has done what the Father has asked Him to do. He's thinking about us and the punishment that we will never experience because He's going to take it for us. He's going to put it on His back. That you are on His heart and His mind. That's what kind of Savior we have. One who loves us, and He loves obeying the Father. Romans 5.19 says, For as by the one man disobedience, meaning Adam, the many were made sinners. So by the one man's disobedience, Jesus, the second Adam, many will be made righteous. Because of His love and because of His obedience, we will be made righteous. What good news that is for us. What hope that is for us this Lord's Day. That we had a Savior that endured all of these things. That we had a Savior who was obedient even unto death. The second Adam. So that we could receive these wonderful blessings. So that we could be brought into a relationship with Him. So that we, He could be our older brother. And we could be adopted into God's family. And we can be brothers and sisters in Christ. And that we can navigate through the difficult terrain of this world. Through the bride of Christ, the church. And that we are going to enter into the new heavens and the new earth. Where we will dwell with the Lord Jesus forever in perfection. And all of our troubles and all of our issues will be gone This is who Jesus is. This is what His love and His obedience accomplishes. It is good news. It's exactly how you should understand that obedience is good news. It's the obedience of Christ. It's His work that justifies us. It's His perfect life and His atoning death that brings us union with Him. It's His sacrifices that bring us into the family. Jesus is certainly worthy of all honor and all praise. And so what is our response to His obedience to the Father and His love for us? Well, Jesus tells us. He doesn't leave us guessing. He says in John chapter 14, verses 15, If you love me, you will keep my commands. John 14, 15, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Many of you have met our dog. Her name is Twix, sometimes called Twixie. 
And we acquired Twixie at a very interesting juncture in the life of our family history. We were moving from Madison, Mississippi to Oxford, Mississippi. I was changing roles. I was leaving Madison Heights as the senior pastor. I was becoming coordinator of the church planning network. And we were very concerned about Avery. She was five or six years old, and we were really afraid how she would react to this move. So what do you do as wise and good parents when you're afraid about how your child may react to something? You give them a dog. And so we went and we got Twix and we gave her to Avery and we hoped that that would soften the blow of moving and leaving her school and leaving her neighborhood and leaving her friends. Now, I will tell you there are many reasons we probably shouldn't have done that, but one of the reasons is that when you move, chaos unfolds. It is a crazy time in the life of your family. It just seems like everything is unsettled for months on end. And so during that time, we did not train Twix like we should, like we did our previous dog. Grave mistake. To this day, Twix, who we do love, will do things in our home or in our yard and we will say out loud, she should have been trained because she's not overly obedient and we wish that she was. Now, why do we wish that she was more obedient? Is it because we're mean and we're tyrannical and we're angry and we just want her to fall lock and step with everything we say? No, not at all. We think that greater obedience would be better for her and it would protect her and it would help her. And we love Twix and we dote on Twix and we're super thankful for Twix other than the obedience part. And we wish that she was more obedient because of our great love for her because we know it's what's best for her. We know that it will be a significant improvement in her life if she was a bit more obedient. And that's what the Word of God is saying to us. Often when we hear obedience, we think of difficulty. We think of things that I have to do that I don't want to do because someone is telling me to do it. We think of tasks that we have to perform at work, we have to be obedient to those who are over us, and it's just frustrating, and it's hard, and it's challenging. But the Bible is saying something completely different. The Lord is saying to us, I am desirous of you being obedient to my word because I love you, I care for you, and I know that obedience to the word of God will help you in life. That path that you travel down, the path of Scripture is the one that is best for you. And as your Heavenly Father, I want what is best for you. I am longing for you to be obedient because it is the right way for you to go as my child. And so here we have in this passage Jesus, and we see His obedience, and He's serving as an example of 
to us of how we should be. Jesus is submitting to the will of the Father. He is being perfectly obedient because He loves us and He desires to redeem us and He loves the Father and He tells us in His Word, He tells us in the Gospels that we should be obedient and that's because the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, our Trinitarian God, loves us deeply and desires what is best for us. Hear my word. Obey my word. Live my word. And Jesus is the example that we follow. So we see the obedience of Christ in this passage. We also see the suffering of Christ in this passage. And sometimes it seems as if in our society today that Christians think that they should never have to suffer. I don't know why that is the case because if you look at the Bible from Genesis to Revelation, it is a grand story in part of suffering. And the climax of that story is Jesus suffering for His children giving His life for us, being the atonement for our sins so that we may approach the throne of grace one day. His suffering is essential, essential to our story. Absolutely. This is a wonderful quote by Martin Luther. They gave our Master a crown of thorns. Why do we hope for a crown of roses? Let me say it again. They gave our master a crown of thorns. Why do we hope for a crown of roses? Let's think about the suffering of Christ this morning in this scene. He is standing before the chief priest, the elders, and the scribes, the religious authorities of Israel. There he is, and there they are. And what are they trying to do? They're trying to find him guilty in order to receive capital punishment. That's what they want. They believe that he is a heretic. They believe that he is a blasphemer. They want to wash their hands of him. They want him to die. Now imagine for a moment what that means to Jesus. He is the Son of God. He is the Son of Man. He is the Word that has come in flesh. He is coming from the right hand of God the Father Almighty. He has come on a rescue mission for His people. And these are His people. These are the leaders of the nation of Israel. God longs for the Jews to be in His kingdom. And these leaders want nothing to do with Him. Think about the patience that God has exhibited with the nation of Israel throughout the Old Testament. Time and time and time again, He has withheld judgment and He has been patient. And before Jesus stands, the collective leaders of the people of Israel, and they want Him to die. And it reinforces, it reinforces what we have seen throughout the Gospel of Mark, that Jesus is the one and only true Israelite. 
He is the only one who can obey the covenant perfectly. He is the only one who can do what God says. He is the only one who can serve as the atonement for us. Hear what they say in verses 63 through 64. And the high priest tore his garments and said, What further witnesses do we need? You have heard his blasphemy. What is your decision? And they all condemned him as deserving death. How hard was that for Christ to hear? My people have turned their backs on me. But notice this. It's not just the leaders of Israel. It's His own followers. It's His own apostles. So as as they're declaring Him a heretic and condemning Him to death, what is Peter doing? I don't know him. I don't know this man. I don't know the Nazarene. I don't want anything to do with this carpenter turned rabbi from Nazareth. Not me. Peter is out in the courtyard saving his own skin. And we know that it will be the Romans who execute him. So what Mark is saying in this chapter in 14 and then in 15 is everyone has turned their back on Jesus. Everyone has denied Him. No one wants anything to do with Him. That is why He is going through this right at this moment. Because we live in a fallen place. And sin fills our very core. It's part of our DNA. And Jesus is reversing this. He is changing this. But you know that it had to hurt the human side of Jesus that the people of Israel, His own followers, and the Gentiles were all denying Him and wanted to see Him suffer. And so what do we do with that? How is that any encouragement to us that He had to experience such suffering? And this is it. You're going to go through the valley in your life. You are going to suffer at your workplace. It's going to be hard. It's going to be difficult. It's going to be challenging. Your marriage is going to be hard. Your family relationships are going to, be, going to be difficult. You're going to suffer in all of these places. Your own health, you will experience suffering. Your children will experience suffering. It's the world in which we live. And so when we suffer, we run to Christ because He has experienced the greatest suffering. The agony and the trials that He faced leading up to the cross and then the punishment, our punishment placed on Him and the distance He felt from the Father during that time. He has experienced the greatest amount 
of suffering. And he says, come to me, come to me, and I will give you rest. That's what a Savior we have. He loves us and He cares about us and He longs for us to come to Him so that He can sympathize in our travails because He has suffered the most. Tim Keller says, this is a good quote, suffering is unbearable if you aren't certain that God is for you and with you. Let me read that again. Suffering is unbearable if you aren't certain that God is for you and with you. And then finally, the grace of Christ. The grace of Christ. I'm watching this show on the BBC, BritBox, and it has one season to go. I think I'm on season six, season seven. And there's been a delay in the final season. And I'm not going to make it. I'm not going to make it. I want to know what's going to happen. And I want to know now. The, fin- the last season ended with a major cliffhanger. And it's just difficult waiting for that final season to come out and to find out what in the world happened to the main character. And so as we look at our text today, it's the same thing. We're going to fast forward and we're going to see what happened to one of the main characters in this passage. You see Peter deny Jesus three times. You see his failings. You see this apostle who was the first one to recognize that Jesus is Lord go down in defeat. And so what is the, the last season? What, what unfolds in episodes 1 through 7? Well, if we look ahead in the Gospels, we know that after Jesus is resurrected from the dead, that He goes to Peter and He asks Peter in three different ways to feed His sheep. And what Jesus is doing is He's very lovingly restoring the one who stabbed him in the back, the one who turned away, the one who ran away, the one who walked away. He's one of the first individuals that Jesus goes to and He restores him in love because we have a gracious and we have a loving and tender Savior who does that for every single one of us. That no matter what sins you committed this week, that when you come into this place, Jesus is waiting here and He meets you and He forgives you. That's what Christian worship is. A reminder that the great shepherd loves His sheep. And so, in this passage, where Jesus is facing these difficulties, we look ahead and we are reminded that not only is He obedient and not only is He suffering for us, but that He is the one who restores us. He is the one who gives us grace. And that's hard to accept sometimes. Sometimes I want to say, 
I just haven't been good enough. Sometimes I want to say, I just haven't been obedient enough. Sometimes it's nothing more than, I'm just not worthy of who Jesus is. And sometimes I have doubts and sometimes I walk away. And here is the King of kings and the Lord of lords in all His graciousness forgiving me, restoring me, and placing His love upon me. Let the grace of Christ be an encouragement to your heart this morning. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we are thankful for Your obedience and the suffering that You endured for us and the grace that You give to us, not only in the past, not only presently, but the grace that You will bestow upon us in the future. As You say to all those who are in You, well done, good and faithful servant. Father, help us to walk in obedience. Help us to walk that right path. Help us to fix our eyes upon Jesus. Lord, increase the love in our heart for You. Thank You for being with us this morning through Your Word. It's in Your name we pray. Amen.